This week on the podcast, we are talking to Eric DeRosa about his experience of dissociation and intrusive thoughts. It was It's everything that you would think of and, and you would see in the movies. And That was going to be my this... next question. Is it everything we see on the movies? I mean, you because yes. by the sounds of it, you were Charlie Sheen in Wall Street. You're from the blue collar <laughs> background and you fuck off to Wall Street. For somebody who was suffering from anxiety and OCD, uh, with a very heavy dose of imposter syndrome. It couldn't have been a worse place for me to be. I thought I was fucked. I thought I was broken. I thought I was different. Uh, I, I couldn't understand why, for me, it was intrusive thoughts. Maybe 45 minutes into that drive, I, I looked at my wife uh, and I said, I need to pull over right now. And she goes, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know, I need to pull over. I don't know where I am. Like the renegade master, I am back once again. It's been two weeks, but we're back with the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast. The podcast is so simple. There it is. It's all there in the title. Straight Talking Mental Health. The little podcast that is making a big difference. We're making that big difference by having these conversations around mental health, by trying to break the stigma around it, to get people talking, to, you know, as a lot of our correspondence has led into, a lot get a lot of our listeners into therapy, to clean up some of the stuff that they may have unbeknownst to themselves been carrying for a long time. My name is Alan Clark. I'm a psychotherapist with a degree in counseling and psychotherapy and a master's in child and adolescent psychotherapy. As you always hear me say, this is not a psychotherapy podcast, but there is moments of therapy in the podcast, as you will hear with our guest later on, Eric. You can kind of see the you can see the penny dropping in a question that I ask him. I won't, I won't spoil it. You can get to that yourselves later on. So Eric is going to come on. He's going to talk about his experience of dissociation. Eric is a former Wall Street trader. Very much living the Wall Street life, if you've ever seen the movie. He he was Chuck Sheen. He was, he was Charlie Sheen, the blue-collar worker background, and then went up to big city living in New York and joined the Wall Street fraternity. He's going to talk about his experience of dissociation. He's going to talk about his experience of intrusive thoughts and anxiety and OCD. OCD again. So another Eric and more experience of OCD. It's, it's a fascinating listen, and I know you're going to enjoy that later on. Before we get into all of that, need to plug the social media. So if you have any correspondence, if you want to get in touch with me, it is just me now. This is the first time back on, on two weeks and it is the first time proper with with this format of just myself doing a little bit at the start and then getting into the to the guest interview then later on. What we're going to have with the guests and as, as we kick off with Eric is guests are going to do their smiles and royals. So I'm going to share my smiles and royals and the guests are going to come on and share theirs. So Eric has his smiles and royals coming up later on. So if you've got some feedback around this episode or any of our previous episodes, I understand there's always people always people catching up on the older episodes. They might be looking for a particular topic and then to find it and then go, oh, hang on, this is pretty good. You know, maybe I should check out more of this. Do, because that's when I love hearing from you. So if you have that, if you have experience around or if you have feedback around last week's episode or even any of our older episodes, do feel free to get in contact. Don't think just because it's an old episode that you shouldn't touch base. Please do. And if you can do that, you can do that through all the social media. And that is where you will find the podcast. So you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. All of those are at STMH Podcast. That's the username on all of the platforms, including YouTube. So if you haven't checked it out already, the videos, uh, the video interviews of the episodes are up on YouTube. And that is a handle on YouTube. It's at STMH Podcast. 
So all across the board at STMH Podcast. And again, it's going to tie in once again. So the website, if you want to check out the website, that's going to have all the links to all the social media. That's going to have all our old episodes. That's going to have the newsletter. So the newsletter is where the episodes will be delivered directly to your inbox. So once it, once it goes live at midnight on Tuesday, that's going to get delivered uh, straight into your inbox. If you sign up to the newsletter, you can do that on the on the website. So that the website is www.stmhpodcast.com. If you want to slide into DMs on the social media that's cool i'm happy to hear from you but if you maybe don't want to do that if you want to maybe have a longer correspondence that you feel more comfortable if you want to email you can do that the email is hello at stmhpodcast.com that's where i'd love to hear from you so if you've got some feedback on an episode if you'd like to come on and be a guest um i'd love to have you on many of our listeners as we will have again in a couple of weeks time many of our listeners have come on and shared their their life story the reason why the, the format of the podcast is the way it is because the guests that come on have the lived experience. These are people that have gone through, like Eric has later on, he's gone through dissociation. So it's not just me listing out specific criteria, etc., like that. I mean, you can just look that stuff up online. Um, but the lived experience, what they went through, how they got through it. So that's this is where our guests come on because who better to talk about it than the, than the people that have lived it. So thank you to everyone that did get in contact. Uh, one a uh, piece of correspondence that I missed a couple of weeks ago when sometimes when you send a message through Twitter it gets held as a request and so I don't always get it straight away until I actually go and check so a big shout out to Kieran Kieran had gotten in contact with Twitter you know what the Twitter is it's at STMH podcast and Kieran had said uh, love your show listening to Ashing talk about her night terrors because I'm awake now after having a night terror so this is in relation back to a few episodes ago where we spoke about night terrors and Ashing my former co-host and former partner she came on she shared her experience of night terrors so kieran had checked that one out and as he said love your show i'm listening to ashing talk about her night terrors because i'm awake now after having a night terror i'm 40 now and i've been getting night terrors every single night since i was 19 that's fucking insane i can't imagine what that must be like to go through bad one tonight and can't get back to sleep usually an intruder in the room or being molested or raped or rats eating my feet they are fucking terrifying i would imagine so Kieran, I like I can't imagine that. Anyway, keep up the great work. The podcast is great. It's uh, really helping me and I'm sure lots of other people. So thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you for getting in contact. And I, I apologize in my in my message to you uh, for the delay. Uh, I had recommended to um Kieran to perhaps uh, seek counseling around the night terrors, maybe get to maybe perhaps some of the underlying deeper unconscious issues that may be fueling that. And I think I think Kieran will will eventually get around to that when when he can. Uh, but thank you very much. Thank you for the very much for the feedback. Kieran, I got in touch on the Twitter, on the Twitter. So a big shout out to Rob. Rob has been in contact with the podcast before. Rob broke me. If you go back to a couple of episodes ago, I'll throw a link up uh, if you're watching on YouTube. Back to a couple of episodes ago, uh, Rob had, had sent in some feedback of how much the podcast has helped him to, to stay alive. Basically helped to bring him back from the edge. And Rob had gotten in contact after, after the last episode. Hi, Alan. The last few episodes have been fantastic as ever. You're doing a great job. Just a quick message to say, sorry to see you and Ashing are part of ways. As, an, as a listener, she will be missed. I wish her all the best in the future, as we all do. Rob, not, not that there is much I can do all the way over here, but I'm sure I speak for all the listeners when I say I'm here for you should you need anything. As I've said before, you're doing good work, my mate. And you and all previous co-hosts made a positive mark on this world. For myself, well, I finally got a session with an appointed therapist. It's the depression, anxiety side of things, with low self-esteem being a focal point. I'm still on the waiting list for the autism service, but hey, home. 
Anywho, Alan, as Holly from Red Dwarf said, time's a great healer, unless you've got a rash, unless you've got a rash, in which case you're better off with an ointment. Uh, all the best, fella, Rob. Thanks very much, Rob. Again, hugely appreciated, and thank you so much for for that message. Again, didn't break me like you did the last time. Of you caught me by surprise on the first one, and Rob actually brought me to tears. So if you look back over that episode, you will see uh, and hear me. Um, breakdown so i think one more piece of correspondence just to just to finish off this one is from rachel you're going to hear a lot more from rachel because she's going to be on the show in two weeks time she's going to be talking about her experience of dyslexia and the impact that that has had on her mental health so if anyone that's had any learning difficulties or has experience of dyslexia you know check us out in two weeks time and see if any of rachel's story resonates with you but rachel i got in contact after the last episode thank you for another brilliant session this podcast needs more credit with you being so open and honest Every two weeks is still awesome. At the end of the day, it's not easy doing a podcast, running a full-time business and a family, but you're doing great, Alan. That helps a lot of people and it helps me to check in with myself. Uh, and Orla had commented underneath. Orla, thank you very much. You always always have a comment on every episode and Orla agreed with everything that Rachel has said. So thank you very much, Rachel. And uh, as I said, Rachel's going to be on in two weeks' time and she's going to talk about her experience of dyslexia. Thank you to everyone for all of the correspondence. As I said, with the change in formats, there's no more, no more co-hosts I've literally ran through all of the options <laughs> in my life. It's, it's just myself now, and there's there's not going to be any more changes. This this is going to be the format of it. So it means an awful lot to get the feedback from yourselves, because otherwise, in this piece here, I'm literally talking to myself for, for your benefit. Uh, so thank you very much, Rachel. She had commented after last week's episode on ADHD with the other Eric. Uh, that was Eric Allen. If you didn't check out last week's episode, Eric comes on. He talks about his experience of ADHD, and he also talks about his experience of OCD, as this week's Eric talks about. One of the things that struck me from last week's episode was uh, not just Eric, but many of our American guests come on and talk about being medicated at such a young age. I think that's, um, I think it's very interesting. And, you know, I know we can have all these conversations around big pharma and stuff like that. But it's quite interesting to hear how, well, maybe it's not quick, but how often our listeners or our guests that have been on have been medicated from from a young age. And particularly around uh, ADHD and stuff like that, it really seems to be quite common in the States to medicate. I, in my experience, I don't know if it's quite as common in Ireland. Uh, if you're listening in Ireland and the UK and you've been diagnosed with ADHD or OCD, as the lads talk about, uh, let me know. Let me know if you've been been medicated and what that experience has been like. Eric had also touched on the point last week of going, eh, I kind of don't know if I agree with it. His suspicion was... Uh, you know, when you're when you're introducing these chemicals to to a young brain, they can have an impact, and it does have a young uh, it does have an impact because our our brains, particularly, you know, our brain doesn't really fully develop until we're 24, 25, particularly the first decade when our brain is truly forming. As we get into kind of adolescence, we do what's called pruning, so a lot of those old neural connections are are discarded, etc., and like that. So the first decade and brain development is is vital, and you know, I'd I'd be kind of I'd be kind of asking the question the same as Eric did of, you know, is is medication necessarily a, a good thing? Um, but let me know if you if you have any experience. Uh, do get in contact or if you've been diagnosed with it or you've been medicated 
or you've been diagnosed and you haven't been medicated, please do get in contact. Let me know. That's that's more a question out of out of curiosity. So you can check out last week's episode. There's a link up there if if you're watching in on, on YouTube. So one last thing just to touch upon before we get into the episode with Eric is I'd just like to wish my son James, who would have been on the podcast very, very briefly before. He was on for about maybe half a minute or a minute. He's not a big talker, so he would be a pretty shit co-host. But it is his birthday. It's his birthday on the Thursday. This episode goes out on the Tuesday. So I just want to wish James a very happy birthday. Uh, he watches all the YouTubers, as most kids do these days. So just a nice little thing to be able to show him on YouTube. Wishing him a happy birthday. So happy birthday, buddy. I love you very much. So with all that being said, I don't think there's anything left. There's nothing to do with but to do it. And that is to throw over to Eric. So this week on the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, we're going back over to the States. We're going back over to the States and we're having another Eric. We had Eric Allen on a couple of weeks ago. He was talking ADHD. This time we've got Eric that's in Colorado. Is that right, Eric? That's correct. Yes, I'm in uh, West, Southwest Colorado. For those who may be familiar with uh, the, the map of Colorado, we are about 120 miles to the West, Southwest of Denver, uh, pretty high up in the Rocky Mountains. I'm just about uh, eighty three hundred feet, and I'll let you do the conversion, Alan. For no, nah, no, where am I? For I well, I'm, I'm old school. I still think, yeah, we're gone metric. <laughs> but I was when I was in school, it was all it was all inches and feet and miles. So it it takes me a while to to, to switched during the process of my uh, academic studies. So yes, and, I'm, and I'm still we, old school. Uh, it's funny as we're doing this recording, I'm looking out my window, and it's snowing pretty heavily, and ski season here is. Uh, has been underway for about three weeks. So before we get into anything of uh, depth, I suppose, Eric, <laughs> let's 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 kick things off with a little bit of uh, smiles and riles. So for for unfamiliar listeners to the podcast, smiles and riles is where you know it's a it's a segment where you know we we pick something that has made a smile and something that's that's got us riled. Uh, life isn't always all good. Life isn't always all bad. But you know we. We we bring the yin to the yang. So do you have a do you have a smile or a royal to to kick off with? Sure, I have both. I and I actually really I love that uh, idea, Alan, because it it reminds me very much of journaling. But it's it's the live speaking version, mm, right, of yeah, journaling. Yeah. <laughs> when you're writing down like three good things from your day, mm. and then one thing that you know you, you want to be able to do better the next day. So definitely on the on the smiling front, uh, it took place uh, last week during Thanksgiving. Uh, I finally got to see uh, a very 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 close friend of mine uh, in person. Uh, she lives in Australia, and w- right as the pandemic hit in March of 2020. Uh, she flew back home and uh, hadn't seen her since. Mm. Uh, and she was, we, we had a, a Friendsgiving gathering uh, last Saturday. And, uh, and I remember opening the door and I knew she was in town and I opened the door and, and there she was. Uh, and the biggest smile came across my face. And, uh, and I know they talk about, you know, the, the endorphins that come from, from hugging somebody and, uh, and, I, and I just remember, you know, running up to her and giving her this hug that probably lasted for a, a minute and a half. Uh, and it was just so great uh, to finally not only see her, but to to start to feel like we we really are moving mm-hmm. through this pandemic. Uh, and so, yeah, that combined with with the Thanksgiving holiday really, really brought brought a smile to my face. Um, you know, it's funny on the on the Ryle side. Um, I'm going to go right to, uh, what, what happens very often for me, 
uh, and I'm learning to deal with it a little bit better each year. But uh, I'm lucky, as I as as we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Uh, I get I spend part of uh, the month of October for my birthday in Hawaii, uh, and so I leave Colorado, which we is usually fall weather, so it's starting to get cold mm. and a little bit uh, and a little bit wet, and and suddenly I'm thrown back into summer, and I'm on the beach for a couple of weeks, and it's and it's just a wonderful place to be, and uh, I get to swim with turtles and see all my friends on the mm. island, and, and my wife and I just have a great time, and. And then, and then this year I had lots of plans of coming back and mountain biking for another two or three weeks before the snow started to fall. Uh, and we got back to Colorado and we were here for less than 24 hours and the temperature, you know, had dropped into the the twenties and it started snowing. And, and I just remember saying to myself, like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> why does this happen every single year <laughs> like why why can't i just come back and keep riding the high mm. and being on the beach and and uh and i know the snow will be amazing i, I was waiting for months, this because i was here in hawaii yeah. i was here and swim with turtles i was like you're gonna be hard to find a fucking royal within that environment <laughs> <laughs> i was like where's he going with yeah. this <laughs> yeah so, uh, so it's so, always the after so, all yeah, that. So friend, it's after all that it's that transition coming back yeah. and if anybody if anybody uh is familiar with living in the mountains in the months of you know october and november uh you're you're in this in-between period of time where it's cold and it's starting to snow and you know but there's not enough snow to ski but the trails are too muddy mm. so there's no more mountain biking and and suddenly you're finding yourself inside more and not you know seeing friends and being a little bit more isolated and uh and yeah it's it's like what the fuck like uh, you know it's gonna you know it's coming mm. uh but um but i'm never truly prepared yeah. for it and and it's funny i my as a as i said to you before we come on air my journal is never uh never too far out of my reach and uh, yeah. and and i wrote quite a bit about it this year uh about uh that transition back and it's it's funny now to to look back on it and, and see the positives and the mm, negatives so yeah, yeah that's uh I, I love that activity and i and i and i would challenge anybody to to who's listening you know to do your own smiles and riles and, and write them down mm, or share mm. them with a friend because sometimes just you know getting that getting that out in the open yeah, yeah. can be so very helpful yeah for myself for for smiles and riles my smile is going to be um you 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 mentioned the Boston Tea Party. Um, I've been um, I've started re uh, well I haven't rewatched it. I watched the first season when the first came out, but I've been watching The Crown. Have you have you watched The Crown? I haven't watched The Crown. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, uh, the guy who plays Prince Charles in from season three is an absolutely fantastic actor. His portrayal of Prince Charles really went above and beyond. Uh, so I used to do some acting, but he really humanized him as a figure. But one of the things when the queen died, and I think I spoke about it on the podcast, was, um, you know, for everyone giving out about the monarchy and, the, you know, the royal family and all of this kind of thing. The thing that struck me was when the queen died, Prince Charles was out having to shake hands with people, you know, the very next day. All hundreds and thousands of strangers coming up, shaking his hand. And I was like, the guy literally just lost his mother. Like, what's it like to, to you know, you lose, you lose your mom, you lose your ma if you're in Ireland. and then. You know, you <laughs> yeah. got to go and be in the public eye and have your grief on on public display. But the, the, the season or the series has been has been excellent. But the thing that also struck me from it was 
you know, the thing we forget is these are just a family. And I think if you if you watch the TV show, it's just a show about a family. They just happen to be yes. the monarchy. In in yes, they have the same Britain. issues we yeah. do. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, so it's, I've been I've been really enjoying that. And my my royal den this week, uh, and, it, and it's very relevant. And I'm and I'm glad you're here because I was going to save it for another show, but I was like, I was like, men's mental health has been um, as we as we get into later on. Uh, we have a little bit of a chat around Kanye and everything that's going on with him. But I had a very similar conversation with a client during the week. He's like, you know, my neighbor, my neighbor does, he's not doing well, like, and, and no one's kind of asking any questions. And it's like, you know, for all this thing of, oh, you know, men, men need to talk. And, you know, we've, we just come out of uh, November. Do you do, do you have Movember in, over there in the States? We have yeah, Movember fucking grow a mustache. Yes. You know, all this. I've done it before yeah. and it's looked yeah, I, I I look like someone that shouldn't be allowed around the playground. Like that's what happens around I'm, anybody. When, when yes. I was acting, I've grown. I've had to grow a mustache, and I was like, oh yeah, keep an eye on him. Like, but the problem I have is that, yep, we get into we get into November, and it's like, oh yeah, men need to speak up, and men need to, you know, but men do speak up, and nothing happens. You know, we're looking at you know as we get into around, you know, we see Kanye, we see everything that's going on with him. I've ha- I have another client at the minute, and he's he's doing everything he's doing it's like you know you need to reach out for social support he's doing that he he's told a couple of people go you know the text in the whatsapp well how are you uh yeah yeah i'm not doing great and he gets nothing back and you're like oh yeah men need to fucking men need to speak up yeah men are speaking up but nothing's happening so i think for yeah there needs to uh, yeah go ahead Eric, go no, ahead. i'm sorry go ahead alan oh no i was gonna say and 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 even you just saying it's starting to get me riled up because people are starting to speak up. But on the other end of that, like people have to take some fucking action. Mm. When somebody says like, I need help. It it reminds me of, uh, and and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but it reminds me of all these people like on social media that will start putting up, like if something happened, like in Ukraine, we'll start putting that colored flag around the profile or, or for like mental Mm -hmm. health awareness month, Mm -hmm. right. They'll put the thing around and then they'll take it down. And it's like, no, it's every day. Like what's going on in Ukraine. It's every Mm -hmm. single day for those people and people who are struggling with their mental health. It's every single day. It's not just a fucking month, but it's 365 days. But that's, that's the problem with all the virtue signaling. Like, you know, it's like, Oh, I changed my profile picture for a day. I had a little, it was an, it became a very interesting little experiment that I did uh, a couple of years ago. I was, I wasn't in a good place at the time. I was feeling quite low, but it just became this thing, you know, so you'd see, you might see a meme around depression or something like that. And, you know, I give a share, I share it onto the timeline of Facebook. And, you know, people would give the, the care emoji or the sad emoji. But it got to, I was like, I wonder, I kind of wonder, I'll just, I'll just see, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of an experiment. And I was like, I'll just see before someone reaches out. So, you know, every other day or something like that. So basically, if you went through the timeline, all you would see would be eight, nine, ten posts around maybe something like depression or if you're not feeling okay, stuff like that. And I was like, let's let's just see how long before anyone actually goes, um, are you okay? And one person did. But she happened to be a therapist. And and I'd put a post up going like, you know, when people say, Oh, there was no signs, you need to see the signs for people. You know, when there's you know, if someone's posting lots of stuff like that, you go, Oh, hang on a second, that's a little bit that's a little bit out of the ordinary. So it's it's like that. It's it's go beyond, oh yeah, men need to talk. Sometimes men don't know the language. And this, this is this is what I always say. It's like it's one thing, you know. I don't think people are malicious with it, but 
it's not a language that we're brought up with. To how do you deal with someone that might have some mental health issue? How do you talk to someone going, look, man, you you know, you feel all right? I kind of noticed you've been a little bit down. What's what's on your mind? What's been going on with you? Is there anything I can do to help? Um, so I think that's an important point for people to just maybe look out for the signs. And we'll talk about it a little bit later on with Kenya and stuff like that. But um, it doesn't need to be around Kenya. It can be more around the people around you. So as two men here and as two men talking about mental health, you know, I I, I feel... I really feel the need to advocate for for the men out there of talk up, but also people reach out because they may not be men may not be able to have that to have that conversation. So, yep. so men's mental health that's 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 my royal. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, we're here to we're here to tell your story. Outside of being in Colorado, why don't you tell us a little bit something else about yourself? Sure, absolutely. And I and and first, I do have to say I've been listening to uh, lots of episodes of the show and I'm going to have to veer off what has become a very popular topic for your show, Alan, which is sex. And I, oh yeah, no sex, no sex this week. (laughs) Yes. No sex this week. I am not a sex therapist and I am not a, an escort as, uh, uh, as was the case. Although we have got, we have got a, there is a guest lined up for a couple of weeks time around erectile dysfunction. But oh, that's that's it. That's it. Nothing I have no to more, worry about. No more sure sex. To tune in for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks but, for giving us the break, the sex break. <laughs> yes. Uh, hopefully, I can be as uh, informative as and as entertaining. But yes, yeah, so I grew up uh, uh, in the U.S. and on the very far east coast of the U.S. in in Massachusetts, uh, the the state that uh, we're not going to talk about that day uh, in 1776, but it's uh, the state <laughs> where. Uh, I got I got my cup of uh, green tea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I uh, I grew up about forty five minutes uh, south of Boston uh, on the Atlantic Ocean side, and spent uh, the first twenty one years of my life either growing up outside of Boston, going to school just outside of Boston. I was lucky enough to meet my uh, wife and she grew up in New York and we moved to New York and I'm going to date myself now in in 1993. We spent almost two decades in New York City uh, where I was in the the finance world on Wall Street and she was a a very smart uh, communications uh, professional. And, And in 2011, as my mental health took several twists and turns, as as we'll discuss on the show, we moved here to Colorado so that we could change our lifestyle, get out of the big city. We were both very much in love with skiing and the outdoors and nature. And we've been here in the Rocky Mountains ever since. Wow. That's a, that's a big lifestyle change, Eric. Very big. Yes. Mm. Uh, it's It's interesting. People ask me now on on shows and, and when I'm speaking publicly, um, you know, how, how did you make that 180 degree turn? Because mm. when I look at, when I look at my career, my, the early parts of my career working on wall street, which is very much a, a zero sum game, one person wins and the other person loses. Mm. Uh, and then here I am now uh, mental health advocate and speaker and podcaster and, uh, and it's all about helping other people and helping to heal other people. Uh, and we're doing it together as a community. And so it's, it is very interesting to to look back at the flow of that uh, over the course of my life. And if somebody had said to me when I was 21 years old, uh, this is the direction that your life is going to take, I would have looked at them and thought, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> what, what took you to Wall Street to begin with, Eric? Sure. So I was an undergrad uh, economics major. I fell in love with economics my sophomore year in college. And I started reading the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I was probably 19 years old at the time. And the, the whole idea of the financial markets really fascinated me. I, I grew up uh, in a very blue collar coastal New England town. And so Wall Street and, and that world was probably the furthest thing from anything I had thought about before. And I just plunged myself into reading as much about it as I could. I ended up taking, you know, more economic classes than I even needed. And when I met my wife, my junior in college, she had grown up in New York. And and oddly enough, even though it was only a four hour drive from, from my hometown, I had never visited before. And I remember going home with her for spring break and we went into New York City for a day and we got off the subway at the Wall Street stop. And I just looked up and I looked around and I, I saw the, the New York Stock Exchange. And, and these, of course, are the days well before digital, uh, mm. digital trading like we know now. And I was just absolutely fascinated by what I saw and, and people walking around in suits. And it was it's everything that you would think of and, and you would see in the movies. And that was I going to be my this... next question. Is it everything we see on the movies? I mean, you because yes. by the sounds of it, you were Charlie Sheen in Wall Street. You're from the blue collar <laughs> background and you fuck off to Wall Street. That's right. That's right. And and uh, it, it was crazy to think like, here I am, uh, you know, I graduate, I'm 21 years old. And, and in August of 1993, I had my first job at Lehman Brothers, which no longer exists. It mm-hmm. collapsed. <laughs> they were a very big institution. And, yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks to them. <laughs> yeah. And everything suddenly, that came as a result. <laughs> Yeah, suddenly I'm in the the pinstripe suits and you know on the subway reading reading the journal and my very 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 first job uh, I was working in the back office at Lehman Brothers helping to to clear uh, fixed income trades and and as I look across uh, you know the trajectory of my career I ended up uh, on a trading desk uh, years later trading uh, interest rate derivatives and and yeah it was uh, nothing that I ever would have imagined. Uh, in my childhood, and and in many ways, uh, and we and we'll get into this, I'm sure. Uh, for somebody who was suffering from anxiety and OCD, uh, with a very heavy dose of imposter syndrome, it couldn't have been a worse place for mm. me to be. Uh, and and I spent a very large part of my career there, just trying to fit in. Uh, trying to wear a facade and and make people believe that you know this guy from you know Somerset, Mass, small town, um, you know I can't let them know I don't know what I'm doing. I can't let them know uh, you know that I I didn't grow up like so many other people and you know I, I wasn't Harvard and I wasn't Wharton. I was one step below at a at a semi Ivy League school here in the U.S. Uh, but yeah, it uh, it was it was absolutely fascinating, and and I look back on it now, uh, not with regret. I look back on it now with you know I was I was able to achieve something that I didn't think possible at the time, and and I was lucky enough to be quite successful. So that a couple of decades later, we were able to make that change and and do what was needed for for my mental health, but also uh, just for you know a general career and life change 
You mentioned the, the OCD and the anxiety. Uh, again, OCD is such a... We haven't had a standalone episode on OCD, I don't think, but it, it pops up so frequently with, with a lot of our clients with anxiety that particularly in the younger years, the OCD um, uh, was was there, was manifesting. What, what did growing up with anxiety and OCD look like for you then, Eric? So it's interesting. I, I, I like to say for the first, wow, 33 years of my life, you know, I struggled in silence. Uh, I wasn't okay. I wasn't way to be a good. man, Eric. <laughs> huh? <laughs> way to be yeah, a man. I would, yeah, way to be a man, right? Way to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, way to try to problem solve and, and do it all. On what my was own. it that you didn't know what it was or you knew and you just ignored it? Or, you know, when I say way to be a man, I'm talking your typical yeah. man of God, just fucking bury yep. it and oh, ignore absolutely. it. So was it that you knew, okay, I've got some anxiety, I've got some OCD here and you're ignoring it or you just, you were had all these feelings and you didn't know what it was? It's, it's the latter. And, and I, you know, to, to, to steal, it's Friday. So we're going to, let's steal some colorful language. Uh, you know, I, I thought I was fucked. I thought I was mm. broken. I thought I was different. Uh, I, I couldn't understand why for me it was intrusive thoughts. Uh, so on the obsessive side, it was the intrusive thoughts. And, and of course the compulsive side came with all of the rituals. But I, I kept thinking, like, what is wrong with me? Where are these where are these thoughts coming from? Where is this? I, I can't let anybody know. If anybody finds out what I am thinking, I'm going to be arrested. I'm, I'm going to be locked away. I'm a horrible person. And, and at the time, I didn't understand OCD as I do now. And I didn't have any of the tools in my toolbox. And I I wasn't seeing a therapist. And so for me, it was all about just pushing it away and pushing it away and pushing it away. Uh, and, and it just led and created that anxiety loop, which the more anxiety and the more OCD and the more anxiety and the more OCD and, and the less safe and secure I felt uh, and the more terrifying the thoughts in my head, uh, the more difficult it was for me to function. And, and I really did think I was broken and I thought that was how I was going to live the rest of my life. And there were times when I would think like, how, how am I going to go on? How, uh, how am I going to actually live a day-to-day life with this type of thing taking place? Um, and, and we were talking about wall street. And as I, as I graduated college and, and moved on to wall street, you know, one of the things that I was, was very aware of was, you know, keeping up that facade. I kept thinking nobody, I can't let anyone see this, especially in a world back in the nineties, which was mm-hmm. still, like you said, very Charlie Sheen, very, uh, Jordan Belfort, uh, the Wolf of wall street, right. Where I did not want anybody to see that I could potentially be weak, right. That I had this vulnerability that, that on the inside I was, I was nothing more than a very scared seven-year-old child. On the outside, I wanted to present to the world that I was a I was a super strong and powerful. And you said, you know, as as a man, right? Mm. That's what we try to do. We we try to project that, you know, we're tough. We can get through this. Mm. And, and so the the person that I showed to the world couldn't have been any further away from the person that I was feeling on the inside. Yeah. You mentioned uh, not letting people see that that seven-year-old. What, what, what was the life of that seven-year-old? So the seven-year-old was um, you know, living in, in a world where he felt you know, unsafe. Uh, you know, I, I had 
suffered some, you know, childhood trauma, uh, childhood emotional trauma, not any physical trauma. And, and at the time I, I never realized it. Uh, and, and, you know, just recently I was diagnosed with a childhood PTSD. Uh, and so this was a year ago. So I was 50. Mm. Uh, so that's and, that for our listeners, we would have done a very early episode around, around trauma. So, Typically, when it manifests within childhood and it's ongoing over long periods of time, uh, it's typically what's referred to as complex PTSD or, or CPTSD. So exactly. When people think of trauma, you know, you might think of a car crash or a one-time event. So that's kind of type one trauma. You know, one thing happens, there's an assault or there's a rape or there's a car crash, something like that. It's a one-time thing. When we think of type two trauma, that's your ongoing, typically childhood um, trauma. So exactly. you're facing this daily or every other day and um, stuff like that. Exactly. And then, and add into that, I was, you know, lots of stress around academics. Uh, you know, I was a very high achieving uh, and, and it was being driven from my, my home. And, uh, and now I look back and I think I was also, uh, you know, a, a very high level uh, athlete and went on to compete in athletics in college as well. And, and I, and I think the two of those combined, you know, I, I wish it had just been one. And if it had just been one, I would have preferred it just to be the, the academics, but mm. I was, I was being driven so hard uh, in the household to, uh, to perform at such an extreme high level with both. Uh, and I never realized how much that was, uh, was perpetuating the, the, the trauma cycle. And, and yeah, it was, it was very challenging for me. Uh, it, it, when I was, when I was younger, I wasn't sleeping very well. I didn't, I didn't understand why I do now clearly, uh, but there was lots and lots of anxiety. And so I tended to spend lots of time by myself. I would, uh, I would be in my room. I, I began reading at a very young age. Uh, I, I remember I read, uh, the Godfather. I think I was 10. Uh, I got uh-huh. very heavily into reading, uh, mm. Stephen King novels. Uh, he, he grew up and lived in Maine. So not mm. a few hours away from, uh, where I was. And so I, I took to reading his novels. Uh, you know, I was 11, 12 years old. And, uh, and, and so for me, it was interesting. It was, it was a way where I could, I could be in my room. I felt safety and security in that space, mm. but also by reading, it was an escape for me. I was able to to escape to this different world, and I I could get lost in novels for hours and hours and hours. Uh, and I'm still a very avid reader uh, to this day. But but yes, my childhood, I always I, I would always see my friends and think, oh, that's weird. That's weird. I always thought that. Other things on the outside were strange, and then as I as I grew a bit older and and started dating and uh, would go to girlfriends' houses and friends' houses, I started to recognize a pattern, and that pattern was their houses looked, <laughs> and I'm going to use air quotes, normal, mm. and I I realized the way I was growing up was not, uh, and so that was probably the very first signal that i i kind of received that okay wait a minute something something isn't right here uh and and it it took me you know decades now of uh when i finally started to to go to therapy when i was 33 and uh and having another uh, very severe uh 
episode uh, about a year, year and a half ago, and and really getting the PTSD diagnosis and digging in and understanding that I I had a thing, and 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 we can talk more about that. But for me, it was. Hearing those four letters, PTSD, mm. uh, I know for I know for some people it might sound strange, but for me it was incredibly powerful and empowering and freeing. And I thought to myself when I was on on my therapist's couch, like I have a thing, I have a thing, and we mm. can and we can we can treat this. And and I remember her saying to me, "There are so many advances now in trauma informed care, and we're gonna and we're gonna treat this in a different way." And I started looking back, thinking, "Well, yeah." All of the things, the anxiety and the and the OCD and um, the imposter syndromes and the attachment syndromes, those are all symptoms of a much larger right umbrella. Uh, and and uh, and it was the very first time where I thought, wow, you know, it, we've been treating symptoms and symptoms, but now I can clearly see a path and a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and and a way to move through this and address like the larger issue, right? The core of the onion. I've hmm. I always thought uh, as I was as I was going through therapy that you know I mu- I must be at the core. I must be at the core. I must be at the core. And, and what I realized is I had probably only peeled back about two layers. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you mentioned um, the, the attachment issues and stuff like that, and it's it's not um. It's not a topic we've covered on the podcast, and the reason why is because it's probably the, for me, once you start seeing people and the world through the lens of attachment, it's entirely different. So it's always been something that's like, when I do an episode on attachment, and I've even considered just doing it on my own, it's like, I want to fucking do this, and I, and I want to do it right, because this yep. has this has massive implications. So for, for any listeners that may not know... We, as uh, primates, as mammals, we do not build burrows. We don't build a den. We look to other people as a source of comfort when we're when we're small. Uh, they are our, hopefully, they are our safe haven. They are secure base from which to explore the world. And we have a biological drive to uh, attach to our to our caregiver. Um, the problem, and when we come into childhood trauma and stuff like that, is You've got this biological drive in which your literal life is dependent on your parents giving you care. You know, if they don't look after you, you're literally going to die. Humans are born about eight, maybe ten years premature. We need a lot of care to get us to that point. So on one hand, you've got a biological drive toward attachment. And on the other hand, you've got your own personality, you've got individuality, and you've got a drive for authenticity. And when those two come in conflict, so when what you do doesn't match up with what the parent wants that creates an inner conflict and when you have an experience where you have this drive for safety and for comfort but perhaps your caregiver or one of your caregivers is also a source of threat that's when you're going to get into a a very complex nervous system that on one hand you need comfort and safety from this person but on the other hand this person could also be a source of of threat and that's what that's where it's ongoing that's where it's not your one-time traumatic event this is ongoing and when it overpowers your central nervous system when you feel unsafe when you have to do whatever you can to exist 
and that's typically giving up a large part of yourself. So probably for yourself, Eric, there, you know, with that emphasis on probably academia and sports, that's how you, that's what you did to, for acceptance. Well, if I'm the good boy that gets good grades or gets, you know, scores a touchdown or whatever, maybe that's, that's where, that's where I get, get acceptance. So that's, absolutely, yeah. And I, and I love how you describe, describe it, Alan. And, and I, (laughs) it's kind of funny how I even came across hearing the term attachment syndrome. So I'm, I'm lucky enough that I get to spend uh, part of the month of October. Uh, it's my birthday time of my birth, so I love to go to the beach. Uh, and so my wife and I go to Hawaii, and and I was literally oh, I was walking around the pool, and and I had met a guest, and she, we were talking about just you know what each other does, and she was talking about being a therapist, and uh, and and the the conversation turned to my podcast. And, and in the course of that, we started talking about why I started the podcast and, and she looked at it at me out of nowhere. She probably had known me for 10 or 15 minutes and she goes, yeah, do you know you have an anxious attachment syndrome? <laughs> and I, and, and I said, uh, what? And she said, yeah, anxious attachment syndrome. No one's ever said that to you before. And I said, no, I, I don't even know what that is. And so that led me suddenly down the rabbit hole of, you know, really reading a lot and trying to figure out about uh, attachment syndrome. And, and so backing up into my childhood years, I, I always joked and, and said, well, I'm very needy. I would always tell people I'm very needy. I'm very needy. I'm very needy. Mm. And then I recognized in my relationships, both with friends and with, uh, with partners through my teenage years and right up until I met my wife, I never really allowed people to get too close because once they got very close, I would find a way to blow up that relationship. Right. And, uh, and, and I recognize it now, right. People always say it's not you, it's me. Well, I can, I can honestly say in those instances, it was not you. (laughs) It was in fact me. And, Mm. and I, I was so terrified uh, you you talked about safety and security and and you know and the parental units being there right to nurture you. I was so terrified that the pattern would continue from my childhood that these people who claimed to love me in my in my life and and nurture me and wanted to be close to me, it was really because they wanted something from me and and I didn't have that trust and mm. and I can tell you. There, there are so many instances along the way of people, uh, relationships that that I was in, and and they they were wonderful people, and and for one reason or another, I would find a reason uh, to to blow up that relationship, and and to all of those people who are listening today, I you know I I am I am truly sorry, and uh, I actually one one person uh, who I've known since my kindergarten days. And, and she and I did date uh, for a little bit when we were in high school. We've actually talked about it quite a bit now as, as we've gotten older and, and we are, we are great friends and uh, but it's, it's shed so much light now on mm. my behavior uh, as, as an adolescent and as a teenager and, and, and explains so much of, of why I behaved like that. Very self-destructive. Yeah. My, my, my psychotherapist had us going, 
Hmm. She, she said it was anxious. So it could be, as it manifests in romantic relationships, it could be an anxious avoidant attachment style. Or it could actually be one that doesn't get spoken about an awful lot is a disorganized attachment style. And that's, you know, and probably that's in my head because of the, the childhood trauma that we've touched upon. Um, so disorganized is you desperately want a relationship, but you're not able for it because it brings vulnerability and it brings the opportunity to be hurt. It brings the opportunity to be abandoned. So as much as you want this thing, you're not able for it. Um, so I was, ju- I was just just uh, interested there. I was just like, oh, I wonder if it's a little bit disorganized or is it anxious avoidant? <laughs> No, I, I and I love that. And and in there, maybe this will help shed some more light. Mm. Is um, I I had a raging case of jealousy, and uh, so I didn't trust. Right, there yeah. was no trust uh, on on the other side. And and when that did change, it was when I met my wife. I was uh, I was twenty at the time. She was nineteen, uh, so she was a sophomore, and I was a junior. And as we as we got together and uh, we got to learn more about each other uh, and, and it was the first relationship where I didn't try to blow it up. I did have jealousy issues, but I never voiced them. And it turns out, uh, you know, we've been married now 25 years. We've been together 30 years and, uh, and we've had lots and lots and lots of conversations. My wife also suffered from anxiety and OCD. And I remember when she, I hadn't seen a therapist yet, but she was seeing a therapist in New York city in our mid twenties. And I remember her therapist saying to her, you two couldn't have found each other at a better time. And you couldn't have been a better match. And now I look back on that and recognize we were both dealing with a very similar thing. Didn't realize it at the time, but we were drawn to each other because we understood each other mm. on a on a completely different level, and and she she was and is and has been uh, the the one person uh, who has been a constant throughout my life, and who I have never been afraid to open up to and share and and let her into my world. Yeah. So she has she has essentially become that attachment figure of the secure base and the safe haven. And uh, just just to clarify for people, when we talk about an anxious attachment style, this does not relate to anxiety. You know, it's it's not to say that's that's not the manifestation of that. So it's also it's an anxious or also called an ambivalent attachment style. So just just to clarify that for people. But all of this stuff then comes up later on in our in our romantic relationships, our attachment of, you know, how how we attach to our caregiver and how to manifest then in our in our romantic relationships. So it sounds like the two of you were able to become that secure attachment figure for each other. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and when, when either one of us has gone through some type of mental health crisis or episode, uh, it's, it's always been very interesting because uh, I feel like we've both, and, and this, in some ways I feel like it's a little unique in a relationship. We've both played the role of caregiver Mm. And we've played the role of the, you know, the person who is going through the, the mental health crisis. And, and I feel like it's given each of us uh, a different lens, like into uh, right. What that person's experiencing uh, and being able to provide and, and have a lot more empathy 
for for one another and and we we've we've always joked like only one of us is allowed to be you know fucked up at <laughs> uh, at a time well like, wait wait your turn it's my turn this is my right. week it's my turn right now yes yeah you you've got to wait um and uh and but but it's also as as the podcast came about it brought us uh, my co-host and I to talk a lot about something that doesn't get talked a lot about, which is caregiver trauma mm. and right. And the PTSD that can be related to being a caregiver. And, and so it's given, it's given both my wife and I a lot of insights into uh, what it's like personally living with, you know, mental illness and, and trauma and, but also what it's like to care for somebody uh, and, and things you can do and things you're, you can't do and things and how you say things and how not to say things and approach things. So it's been, um, it's been very interesting. And, uh, and yes, we've been definitely been each other's, uh, rocks for a very, very, very long time. Great. I'm glad, I'm glad you found each other and I'm glad you've been able to, to be that person for each other. Um, just, just rewinding a little bit, um, Eric to the anxiety, the, the, the OCD behaviors, uh, the intrusive thoughts, stuff like that. What were they? What what was the manifestations of that? What what did that look like? Sure. Uh, so on the intrusive thought side, I can I can give a couple of examples. Uh, the the very very first one uh, that I can remember is uh, harm, harm of others, right? And uh, and and I'm I'm learning now. I I belong to a couple of. Uh, Facebook groups, uh, which around OCD and intrusive thoughts. And, and so I'm, I'm learning that it's much more common than I even thought it was. Mm. And so it was always that, that fear that I was going to harm a loved one. And it was, and it was terrifying. Uh, and for your audience, uh, you know, on the, on the intrusive thought side, it gets to the point where the thoughts become so real that you believe that you are going to act on them. Mm. And it leads then to such anxiety around, I can't believe I'm actually thinking this. Would I actually do this? Uh, and, and the spiral begins. Uh, and and it, it becomes very terrifying. And it, it leads, and in, in my case, it led me to, to doubt whether or not I was even a good person. The fact that I was having this thought: Am I? Am I really this this evil person? I at at times, uh, you know, I I was like, Are you a serial killer? Like mm. I I went down that rabbit mm. hole of right of of all these you know things that couldn't be any further from the person that that I am at my core, and that led into an into another one which started in my college days, uh, which was, uh, so I was, it was right around 1991, 1992, when the AIDS epidemic was uh, raging here um, and, and around the world. And, and it was this terrifying fear that I was going to die from AIDS. Not at all based in reality, mm. right? No reason at all for me to, to have that belief. But I remember being home. It was uh, my senior. My senior. It was Christmas time uh, in college, and I remember not really getting out of bed uh, for hours and hours on end, 
while I was home. And it was, it was just this belief. I had convinced myself that I was going to die from AIDS. Uh, and it was, it was absolutely terrifying and, and it would ebb and flow. And when I first moved to New York city, I, I remember, so with that move came the uncertainty of being in a new place, right? So the safety and security. Uh, and so here come the intrusive thoughts, right? The I'm going to try to control what I can't control. Mm. <laughs> and, and so that one came back very powerfully again. And and I remember I was terrified to to touch anything around me. I, I, I'd be terrified to touch the subway. I wouldn't want to rub up against people. I was, I, you know, as, all as cities much as in I, the world, Eric, you're in the fucking wrong right. city to not be touching. I'm in the wrong city in the wrong people. profession. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and I knew, uh, from, from an education standpoint, I knew that it wasn't possible. Mm. I was like, that, and I kept telling myself, and this is, this is where that battle begins of, the irrational brain is going, right? This is going to happen to you. And my rational brain kept fighting it saying, no, it can't. No, it can't. No, it won't. This is why I can't. This is why it won't. And then began the, well, I'm a horrible person for even thinking this. And, um, and, and so the, that spiral continued and, uh, and then it would, it would kind of ebb a little bit and it would come back and then it would ebb and then it would come back. Uh, but those, those were the two that really kind of dominated my life. It was, it was the harm, uh, for others. Mm. Uh, and it was that, that fear of, of dying from, you know, a disease and all again, rooted in not feeling safe, not feeling secure, uh, and, um, yeah, it was terrifying and it led to, uh, you know, from a very young age, it led to the rituals and the compulsions of, of, for me, it was, um, uh, it was counting. So everything, uh, had to be done in threes. I would turn my light switch off, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three. And if I happened to do it four times, I would have to start over again. It was, uh, the, you know, when I would close the door of the house, even, you know, even in my recent years. I would close it and then I would have to check it three times to make sure that it was in fact locked. If it was four, then I'd have to start over again. And then I would think, well, something terrible is going to happen to someone I love or to myself if I don't do that. Uh, and the other one, which uh, to my friends and family, it, it masked itself as, well, Eric's just very neat and Eric's very orderly. Mm. But I used to have to have everything in order. Things couldn't be out of place. Uh, so, for instance, a, a bookshelf. I gave this example to some parents who I spoke to uh, earlier this fall. And we were in a library and, and when I was speaking. And I said, look over at the bookcase over there. I said, what I would do is I would have to take all those books off the bookcase. And I would have to order them from smallest to largest. <laughs> They would have to be alphabetical and alphabetical by color. And then if somebody happened to remove one of those books, it would throw my whole world into frenzy and I'd have to start that process all over again. And, and I, I remember them looking at me and, and, and one person raised their hand and said, well, how did you physically, how were you physically able to move on with your day? And, and I, and I said, I, I look back now and I don't know. Mm. I, I realize how, time consuming 
all of this was, right? The the intrusive thoughts and then the rituals mm. that were there to, right, quote unquote, make me feel safe and make me feel in control. And then the facade of not wanting anybody to see that from the outside. And, and now I'm like, wow, that really left me very little time to be the kid that I thought everyone else around me was. It was, yeah, it, uh, it's, it's, it's been an interesting look back for me now as I've, as I've really moved through it and become more knowledgeable and, and really understand more about, you know, how the brain works and, mm. and what these, what these symptoms really are. And, and sometimes I, I look back and I, and I marvel at, uh, my ability to have been able to move through each and every day while dealing with these things and yet still being able to, you know, perform, you know, athletically and academically and have mm. a full-time job and, and have a successful marriage. And, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, people, regular listeners to the show will know whenever someone comes on and talks about OCD, I fucking jump on it. And I always make the same, I always make the same point because you like your kitchen clean. Oh, I'm so OCD. You know, I like to have my kitchen clean. Yep. You know, I, I think our last Eric uh, on our ADHD, Eric, who had, had also had OCD in the childhood, he's like, yeah, like oh, hy- hygiene standards don't make you OCD. You know, he, no. he he had mentioned on his episode of, you know, he was losing two hours a day to these rituals, you know, and it's the compulsion. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, you like your kitchen clean, but you're not going to fucking have a meltdown if it's not. No, you know, no. And I'll give you a I'll give you a really good example. So I was I was uh, a sophomore in college at the time. And we were, I was living in uh, a, a brand new building on campus and it, they were experimenting with this. It, they were suites. And so essentially it was a living room, two bathrooms and six rooms all within this suite environment. So we each had our own bedroom, mm. which, which I thought after, you know, having gone through freshman year with a roommate and, and of course, Having heard the earlier part of our conversation, I figured out a way to blow up that that relationship with my roommate. Uh, so I was like, "Oh, this is great! I have my own bedroom," and and so everything had its order. and And I remember one day, and and I'm still very good friends with with this person, but uh, he decided it was going to be fun to come in and, and fuck around with my room. And uh, and I and I got back from class, and and I walked in, and everything had been moved. But it had been moved, like not in a in a large way, but in very, very, very small, right, changes. But things that only somebody with severe OCD would recognize. Mm. And and my first reaction was, you know, you motherfucker, I can't believe you did this. Uh, and what to them was just funny because they thought I was just, you know, an exceptionally neat person. Mm led me like you know you were saying the other eric it, it led me to a couple of hours i had to completely put my room back together and everything had to go back exactly where it was because if it if it wasn't well who knows what's going to happen to me who knows what's going to happen to you know one of my loved ones and you know all control uh, at that point just just went out the window and yeah it it, it sent me it sent me into a frenzy and, and you describe it very well. It's, it's one thing to, to go and you'll know, wash the dishes and 
and put the mugs away. Mm, yeah. uh, but it's another thing to go into that kitchen and wash the dishes and make sure they're all completely dry and then stack them from largest to smallest and rearrange the cabinet and make sure all the mugs are in the exact same place that they're always in. Two very, very, very different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, the mental health issues um, continued in later life and, and that former lifestyle on Wall Street and New York and that whole scene, it caught up with you at one point, Eric. I know there was episodes of disassociation. Is that something you could speak upon? Yes, absolutely. And it's and it's interesting that you, you bring up dissociation because we were recording an episode last night and and our guest brought up the word disassociate. And so I remember asking her, I said, you know, you having been through it and as a professional, I'd love to hear your specific description of what dissociation was, uh, because I know for each of us, it's, it's very mm, different. Mm. But yeah, I was uh, I was 33. I had actually just moved from Wall Street to uh, the corporate side of finance. I was working for a, a Fortune 500 company and, and I had started in, in late August. And at the time I thought, this, this is going to be a good change for me. Uh, I, I had st- started to realize I wasn't the typical Wall Street persona, but I, I really did love finance and I thought I could bring my skill set into the corporate setting. And what I didn't recognize uh, still was with, with any great change for me came that lack of safety and security. Uh, and I felt I wasn't in control. Uh, and, and this time it came with a very healthy dose of imposter syndrome. And I remember my, my first month at the company just being at being at my desk and and trying to work and and my brain my brain just felt very overloaded and very tired and very exhausted uh and physically i felt very stressed and and i had had physical manifestations of of anxiety in my past and growing up in my childhood um but i i couldn't ever really remember a period where where my head started to feel like it was being turned in a vice. And uh, that, that kind of deepened a little bit. And my, my wife and I, uh, it was late September. We were going to be going up to see her dad uh, who lived in Albany. So it was about 140 miles north of, of New York City. And, uh, and he was a very big golfer. And I was, I was a, my wife and I were golfers at the time. And and so in the, in the days leading up to that, and, and I know there's a word for it and I can't remember, and, and you, I'm sure you could fill in the blank. One of, one of the things I started to do, uh, which was very new for me, in order to make myself feel more comfortable, uh, and, and I thought put my brain at ease, was as I'd be watching TV, I, I started to play these uh, sort of mental games and mental puzzles with myself. And, and I would quiz myself, not outwardly, but inwardly. Uh, who was that actor in that film? Who won the World Series in such and such a year? Now, I was, I'm a big baseball fan. Uh, and so I, I started to, to give myself quizzes. And these, and these would start lasting for started minutes, and then it was hours. And, um, and, and, and at, at times, I couldn't remember. And I thought, what's wrong with you? Why can't you remember this? This is so simple. And, 
and this is in the days before uh, we had Google and uh, it was it was 2004. And so, you know, the, the Internet wasn't what the Internet mm. is now. Mm. Uh, and so I, I really started to panic and, and think, well, what's wrong with me? And my my where's my memory going? What's happening? And, and so we left on a we left on a Friday. We drove up to to Albany and we played a round of golf on on Saturday. And I remember just being very agitated. Uh, I had a headache. Uh, as I was playing, I was doing these mental quizzes and, uh, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really there and present as we were playing. And then on woke up on Sunday, I, I hadn't really slept well at all that the night before we played golf on Sunday and, and, and I could kind of feel something unraveling, but I, I wasn't sure what, and, uh, we got, we got in the car and I started driving home on the, the, uh, the New York, um, uh, the New York Thruway. So some of our U.S. listeners will probably know where that is, and it's just a very straight road that takes you right back to New York City. And and maybe forty five minutes into that drive, I I looked at my wife uh, and I said I need to pull over right now. And she goes, "What's wrong?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I need to pull over. I don't know where I am." Uh, and I could see the look on her face. And so we pulled we pulled off the road and uh she said I'm, I'm gonna drive and so she took over the driving and i remember kind of talking for a little bit um and and i was i remember crying and and the last thing i remember was uh saying like i miss my friends and, and i didn't know where that was coming from at all the next thing i know we're back in new york city uh and we're sitting in a diner so we had we had gotten back to the city. We had returned the car. We were sitting in a diner, and all of a sudden, it was as though somebody had done uh, a control alt delete on my brain, and I suddenly was laughing, smiling, couldn't stop talking. I felt this state of euphoria, uh, and and I said, "What what just happened to me?" <laughs> And and I remember Amy saying, I, I have no idea. Uh, she said, you were in the car and, and I was trying to talk to you, but you weren't answering. And she's like, I was very, very concerned. And, uh, and I was in that diner and it felt like, I was like, wow, is, is this really the end of all of this stuff that I've gone through for the first 33 years? Uh, and that feeling, you know, lasted for, you know, a few hours. Uh, and then I sort of fell back into, uh, you know, the OCD and the spiral. But that was that was the first time where she said to me, you need to get help. And and I said, I'm I, I'm willing, I'm willing to I'm willing to see a therapist because I can't go on like this mm. any longer. Uh, but, yeah, that that episode for me, it was, you know, my my brain and my body like were in two completely different places. And, and, and that's the way I can describe it from the inside, from the outside. I'd love to hear. Uh, and I, and I always do love to hear, you know, professionals kind of mm. give that description of kind of what dissociation is. Cause I know everybody kind of sees it through a, a slightly different lens. Yeah. I suppose every one of us, on you know on any given day probably have experiences of disassociation you know so when people think like that's fucking crazy like how, how can that happen how can your mind just just snap 
But every given day, any one of us at any given time can just daydream. We can just bring ourselves to to a whole other place. Um, it, I did. I didn't need to make the connection because you did it already. So typically, for um, a very common theme around disassociation is childhood trauma. So, you know, nearly in 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 some incidences where you know you're in your room, you're you're reading so much, your escape. There's there's your escape. I was at a, a conference. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dan Siegel. Dan Siegel is a kind of a famous American neuroscientist. Um, and I was at a conference with him once and he described this. Uh, he'd had a patient come in. So he's a psychiatrist. Uh, he had a, had a patient come in. This one, this girl was rushed in as, as an emergency. Um, she had completely disassociated. Um, and what had happened was, you know, she came in, I think they just had her wrapped in a, in like a bathrobe or, a, you know, and this was like, she had just absolutely freaked out. And what had happened was, as they kind of started putting the pieces together, her boyfriend brought her in and spoke to her boyfriend and go, okay, what happened? So basically what had happened was they were having sex in the shower. Um, and... She had disassociated. She had had a, a traumatic flashback to being gang raped by her brother and some of his friends in a barn. And what had happened was uh, it was raining outside. So the combination between the rain in the barn, the sexual assault, the, the rape, rather the rape by her brother and some of his friends was re-triggered by this sexual experience in the shower. And she completely disassociated she was she was gone but she said what had happened at the time was as she was laying down she looked up in the corner of a barn and there was kind of like a flower growing and she just focused on that and she just imagined flowers just covering the entire ceiling roof of the barn so because of this obviously horrific experience of rape her brain it's just and this is what happens when her it's just too overwhelming we disassociate so she cut off from that experience. And very often for people that have had sexual trauma, particularly around childhood, they can be very disconnected from their body. So because they've had to cut off from what was an unsafe um, experience. So dissociation is, is typically triggered around times of stress. You had mentioned you were, you were gone through yep. a particularly stressful period in your life. The thing that struck me was, uh, here you are facing another big change. You know, you had that big change of moving to New York with the anxiety around the intrusive thoughts. And here you are again, new new settings, new, you know, unfamiliarity. And for people mm -hmm. that have had trauma, you know, we need to feel safe. We need, uh, you know, routine or, you know, anything that's going to help us feel safe and get out of unpredictability because obviously unpredictable is unsafe so routine is safe your home is safe taking you out of your home bringing you to new environments unsafe so you know a lot of stress and you're dealing then with the um with the imposter syndrome then walking into walking into a new a new environment in in work as well the, a very famous False example. Have you ever watched Breaking Bad, Eric? 
No, but yeah. I'm very familiar with. Yeah, that. so there's a famous, famous scene. I, I can't remember what happens, but Walt and Jesse go off. Something happens. They're off cooking meth. Something happens. And then Walt turns up in his underpants in a in a convenience store or something like that. And he goes, and they put it down to being a disassociated. So a fook state um, is, is, the, is the famous one. So the kinds, so that the, the kinds of, is that fook state. So you, you had mentioned not remembering. So you can have this mm-hmm. disassociative um, amnesia. So we have periods where you can't remember. You might not remember who you are. You might not remember where you've been. I think you had that then with the, in the car, that, that sort of experience. Yeah. Um, and then, so two years later, I had a second episode, which actually lasted for an entire weekend. So it was, wow. uh, so I, I, for some reason as, uh, as patients, we also sometimes think we're also the best doctors. And so I had, a, I had an amazing psychiatrist in New York City and I started seeing him after my first episode in 2004. They put me on uh, medication, which was very helpful for the OCD and the intrusive thoughts. Move into 2005 and I thought, oh, wow, I'm cured. <laughs> Knowing what I do now about mental mm. health, it's a never-ending journey. Mm. I thought I was cured at the time. So what did I do? I decided, well, I don't need to see my therapist again anymore, and I don't need to take the medication anymore. And so I felt fine for a time, and we move into 2006, and it's Labor Day weekend. So, so around a very similar time as my first one happened. Mm. And I was, I remember I was in my office. It was Friday, uh, early afternoon, uh, before the weekend started. And all of a sudden I started to feel this, the wave come over me, right? It was a little, it started with some panic and some anxiety. And then I felt the vice tightening. Uh, and you know, everything started to, to happen like very rapidly, uh, and my wife's office in New York. So, if people, for for your audience who's listened, who's been to New York mm-hmm. City, uh, I was on Fifty Fifth and Sixth. My wife was on Fiftieth and Sixth. So, right, she was right across the street from uh, Rockefeller mm. Center. So, we were right in the heart of of uh, of New York City. And I remember sitting in my chair and thinking to myself, if I don't get out of this chair right now and get myself to her office, I don't know where if i'm going to be able to get out of here this weekend and and i i don't know where that thought came from but i managed to get to her office uh i was telling her what was going on i got on the phone uh with my therapist who i hadn't seen in in about a year and i remember sitting in a conference room and i was kind of crying uncontrollably and explaining to him what was going on and he asked me you know are you safe uh are you thinking of self-harm you know the going through the checklist and I said, yes, I'm, I'm in a safe place and no, and no, and no. And, and he said, and I'm away for the weekend. He said, but I can see you first thing Monday morning. And, uh, and I think what I want to do is I want to put you on, uh, on clonopin, uh, so a, a benzodiazepam, uh, to, to help with right. The, the anxiety crisis. So I said, great. We, uh, I felt better after the tears stopped. Uh, and so we got on the subway, we got home to our apartment, we went out for a walk. There was a, a festival that was happening and, and I slowly felt myself 
going into that downward spiral. And that was, that was Friday night. And I didn't sleep really well at all Friday night. I had completely lost my appetite. And then suddenly it was Sunday. It was late Sunday afternoon. Uh, and um, I, I remember kind of pacing around the apartment, like shaking my hands. I was just, you know, really, really out of sorts. And um, I, I had managed over the weekend to, to physically move around my apartment, but I haven't had no recollection of it. I had had some conversations with my wife. I had no recollections of those conversations. Uh, and, and to this day, she and I, um, don't talk about it. We don't talk about like what I said or, or, uh, and I remember, uh, her saying, we need to get in touch with your therapist. And, and so we managed to get through to him and, uh, he said, I, I would love to put through the prescription for clonopin right now, but the, um, the pharmacies are all closed. It's, it's late Sunday of a, the three day weekend. Uh, but we remember, so my neighbor, uh, next door neighbor who we were very friendly with, uh, in our apartment was, uh, a psychiatrist in New York. And so we, my wife called her, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I'll never forget and I'm forever grateful for her for this. And, and she said, um, I have clonopin. She goes, it's it, the door is unlocked. She goes, it's in my, you know, where my kitchen is it's in the first kitchen drawer. Like she described exactly where it was. She goes, take the pill, cut it in half. Um, and, uh, and so I remember we went to her apartment and, uh, literally within minutes of taking that, uh, I, I felt again, euphoric, jovial. I was hungry beyond belief. Uh, cause I, I don't really remember eating, uh, that weekend. All I wanted was food. Uh, and then I fell asleep and my wife, uh, says it was very much like trying to wake the dead. I was, I had fallen asleep on the couch and she could not wake me up. She was at the point where she was actually scared that something had happened to me, uh, from taking the medication. And, uh, and so I have been, uh, I can say I've been on a very, very, very low dose of, of, uh, clonopin from that day mm. onward. Uh, it, it was, it w was, and has been very helpful with my anxiety and, and combined with some other medications. Uh, I was then able to get myself to a place where I could finally move past crisis. And I, I could really start to open up and discuss what was really happening. But, but I, I remember for a very long time, every time Labor Day weekend would come around, I, I started to live in fear mm. of, is this going to happen to me again? And, and to this day, it is still the most terrifying uh, experience that I can, you know, again, I can't, my childhood, again, mm. I can't remember everything that happened from that, that time period, but it's, it's the most terrifying thing that I have ever experienced in my, my adult mm. life. You, you, you kind of got there before me because since, since you said it, I've had the question in my head. It's not something you need to answer, but I suppose, again, the psychotherapist's head is going, in your childhood, was there any memories around Labor Day of any, any particular event that may have happened or anything that might trigger it around that time of year? None. You know, we've, we've kind of gone down 
that path. Mm. I've done, uh, my therapist and I, we did a timeline, lifeline, mm. if you will. Uh, and I remember, you know, writing all those things down. And, and the only thing I can think of uh, is where I grew up, we started school the first Monday after Labor Day weekend. So when is Labor Day, and, just for our non, non-American listeners, when is Labor Day typically? So Labor Day it typically is either the last weekend of August or the first weekend in October. So it's a it's a three day weekend, and it and in many ways, and and as I'm as I'm talking about this, it's, it's interesting. I feel like I'm doing yeah. a little on air yeah, <laughs> therapy with you. It's kind of this is great. Uh, so Memorial Day takes place in May, and that's customarily thought of as the beginning of summer. Mm. Right. School gets out right after that. It's, you know, summer activities as a kid uh, uh, until you're 16 and then, you know, you're working in the summer. But but really, it's a time to be with friends and be on the beach. And uh, and then Labor Day uh, and there you'll read it a lot in, in the newspapers and see it a lot on the TVs. And they talk about it's the end of summer. And in reality, it's not the end of summer. The end of summer doesn't take place until the, the fall equinox, mm, mm. much yeah, later yeah. <laughs> in, in the month. Uh, but I'm now starting to think as we're talking through this, mm. it, it has this kind of finite, right? It's the end of summer. It's the end of fun. Uh, and then for me, it signified going back to school. Um, and I was back in that environment and which for me was extremely stressful. There was no stress around the summertime for me. I was doing things that I loved to mm. do. I was playing baseball. I was with my friends. Uh, but once school started, it was the pressure that was coming from one parent on the academic side. And it was the pressure from another that was coming uh, on the athletic side. And so now I'm starting to wonder if there is a significance around that time period for me mm. uh, and, and why it tended those things tended to happen at that particular point in time. Yeah. Yeah, so that'd be a very difficult question in therapy of, you know, just trying to trace that back of going, okay, is there any any significance? When does this happen? Does it typically happen around the same time? If you're seeing a kind of pattern, you're like, okay, well, let's let's have a look at maybe what, what might be triggering that. You've gone through a lot, Eric. There's been the OCD. There's been the intrusive thoughts. There's been the anxiety. There's been the dissociation. How did you get through all of that? What, what has helped you? So, I, you know, I, I think... It's probably three things, and uh, it's interesting. I I describe it as my equilateral triangle of healing. Uh, And so, uh, again, falling back on my finance and and math background, Mm. if, you know, an equilateral triangle, all sides are equal, Mm. all corners are equal, and they all add up, right? Uh, And when an equilateral triangle is at its strongest, you can roll it on any side and each side will be just as strong as the other. But if any one of those uh, sides and corners is taken away, the whole triangle collapses. And so for me, I call it the equilateral triangle of healing because it's really been three equally important parts. There's been what I call the Western medicine side. So lots of uh, traditional talk therapy, Mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, and other, um, you know, trauma-informed care. Now that I've I've had that PTSD diagnosis uh, and medication, uh, so I I work with both a therapist as well as a psychiatrist who manages my my medications and and will change those as needed. Then there's also been 
uh, we'll call it the Eastern medicine side, which has been a combination of meditation mm. and mindfulness. Uh, I've done a lot of work, uh, Reiki work. Uh, and so that's helped me to, you know, to learn about being more in the present, being more grounded, being more aware of the now. Uh, and, and as I've combined that, one of the things I did uh, early on uh, is I put my, my energy healer uh, in touch with my uh, talk therapist. And both of them, so my, my energy healer was also a nurse, so she was very familiar with Western mm-hmm. medicine. And my, my therapist is also very interested and open to all sorts of non-traditional treatment modalities. So I put the two in touch with one another so that they could talk about what each other was doing. And so it, it works really well because if I'm doing something in, in talk therapy, when I go to a Reiki session, uh, and she's, you know, working on, uh, my body and, and, and I may start to see certain things, whether they're colors or, or visions, it's kind of opened up, um, my mind to be able to understand a lot better Mm. things that I experienced in my past and things that I might be seeing in my, in my future. Uh, and then the third piece of that, uh, and that's a big reason we moved here to Colorado, um, is nature. And the, and the healing properties of being outdoors. And, and two of the, the sports that uh, I love more than any other are skiing and, and mountain biking. And so here in the Rocky Mountains, uh, you know, we're lucky enough to have some of the, some of the best snow in the world. Uh, and I get to, in the wintertime, through teaching skiing, uh, I get to be out on the snow with some amazing uh, guests of mine each and every day. And and so I get to experience that deep connection to nature and, and skiing. Uh, and in the summertime, mountain biking, I get to be again uh, out, being in nature, riding in the forest. And, and it gives me that very, very deep connection uh, to being in the now. Mm. Because for both, of those, uh, for both of those sports, I can't be thinking about <laughs> the turns I made two minutes mm. ago, right? I've got to be exactly like in the present and i can't be worried about well you know what's gonna happen where are we going to lunch or you know what am i doing later on in the day uh because anybody who skied at at any kind of a level once the mind starts to wander you're gone you're done uh, you're done you're on the snow um and if you're mountain biking uh and i was also i road biked for quite a while and and so if you're descending um you know here we have these these very long mountain passes and uh, and so if you're descending on a, on a very skinny tire at uh, 100 kilometers an hour, like you see in the tour, um, you know, if your mind is wandering, uh, some some very, you know, not good things are going to happen. Mm. And so that's really helped me to to start to be much more in the present. And and so what I, I also have the ability to do is I can turn that triangle. And so there are some days where the Eastern medicine piece is a larger component and, and has a bigger impact on, on my day. And so I'll lean into that a little bit more. There are other times where it's, you know what, I really need to get outside and I, and I need to ski even if it's just for two hours and that, and that does the trick or, you know, I haven't 
checked in with my therapist in a week or two. And, and so I need to go in and just kind of have that, that check-in session just to make sure things are firing. So I, so it's, you know, they're all equally important, but I can lean on one or another at different times. And, uh, and, and for me, that's been incredibly powerful. And, and I would say the other thing, uh, has been, you know, my healing team. And it's something that I've really put together just within the past, uh, you know, 12 to 15 months. And, and really it's, you know, comprised of my wife and some very close friends and, and my therapist and my, my Eastern uh, medicine healer and, and what it allows me to do. Um, it's, it, I know some people will call it a chosen family. Uh, I like to refer to it also as a, as a healing team. And it's people that I know that I can go to if, if I'm feeling off or things mm. aren't okay, who I can open up to and be vulnerable and have a conversation. They're not going to pass judgment. They're, they're, they're there to listen. Uh, and, and, and in many ways, just by having that conversation, it allows me to feel better. And I usually can then come away from it recognizing, oh yeah, I haven't done this in a few days. Now I, I need to do this and that'll make me feel better. So, so, so the, the two combined uh, have been very powerful for me on my healing journey. Right, yeah. And I mean, we always, always want to emphasize to people the importance of social support, you know, and having other people and have those, um, uh, you, you know, great, great term you have there, that healing team, you know, someone you can go to when you're not feeling the best or, you know, I actually had a conversation with someone today. I was at, I was at physio, I had physiotherapy this morning and uh, myself and physio, we've only started working together and we got chatting before. We're both kind of big hip hop heads and uh, I don't know how it came up, but um, something about Kanye came up and um, ah. <laughs> we're all like, oh, fucking Kanye is gone. He's like, oh, did you see that documentary? I said, yeah, I watched the documentary on Netflix. I was like, do you know what I said? The thing that struck me was after about an hour of watching that and it's all archival footage of Kanye back in the 90s, you know, he's just coming up as a producer yep. and stuff like that. And I'm watching that and I'm going, how the fuck did people not know there was something wrong with him? Because he was only diagnosed a couple of years ago. I think he was diagnosed with bipolar or borderline. Bipolar, yeah. Yep. After, um, and I was like, how could people, like, people around him, how has no one noticed that there's something wrong? And we're kind of talking about Kanye now of going, you know, Kanye is talking all this stuff. And it's like, Kanye needs help. You know, and yes. everyone, you know, because what's going to happen is he's going to be left to his own fucking devices. So he's going to probably end up killing himself or something. And it's going, everyone's going to go, oh my God, it's so tragic. And he was such a genius. It's like, no, no, you all fucking seen. You, you, you were all laughing. I'm going, oh, Kanye's going fucking mad. You know, he, yep. he needs a healing team around him. He needs people to come in and go, yeah, you know, we're kind of getting a little bit worried about you here now. You know, we, we kind of need to step in. We need to look at your medication. We need to maybe look at hospitalization. Someone needs to step in and be support and be a healing team for, for Kanye at the moment. And it, It's such an interesting thing that you bring up because people looking at it from the outside uh, who, you know, are lucky enough uh, to have not dealt with, you know, any kind of mental illness, mm. either in their own life or in their family or any kind of trauma. It's, it's very easy to just look at what he's doing right in this moment mm. and saying that behavior is unacceptable. And, and I'll be the first to say that except that the current behavior, yeah, yes, is yeah. unacceptable. However, and you bring up a very good point, when you do look at it through the lens of somebody who myself has been through my own 
struggles mm. and battles. You look, you're looking at it right through the lens of a, as a psychotherapist. And then you start to look back at the early days and you start to see this thread of, oh, wow, that, right. That doesn't add up. That is to me in many ways. It's a, and of course it's on a much different level, but I, I feel like what he's doing is no different than what I did when I was acting out when I was a kid. And, um, and I was always told like, you know, what's wrong mm, with you? Mm. Or, you know, why can't you get along with others? And it was just my way of like acting out. Like I, I need, I need help. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that's why I was doing it, but I feel like now he's kind of at that or nearing that end point mm. of, right. He's, he's screaming in a way for help. Uh, and people are interpreting it as he's just like, He's, he's, he's this unacceptable human being that we can't even associate ourselves mm. with. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and when you look back at the nineties, uh, and, and how stigmatized mental health was <laughs> back at <laughs> yeah. that point in time, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and now how, you know, lots of athletes and, and musicians and public, um, uh, public personas are speaking up about their own mental health struggles. Mm. Uh, you can only help but think like if Kanye had grown up in this time period, would it have been different for him? Like, would he have gotten the help early yeah, on? Would he have yeah. been accepting to the help and an earlier diagnosis? And yeah, it's um, I've had, I've had that actual very same thought as you did. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think it's going to end well for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah that, yeah, that'd be my fear. Look back. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, like you said, people look back later on and there's all these signs um, that get missed all the way along the way. Right, but I, th I think the, I think the issue is, so Eric, is people aren't missing it. They're, like the, the, yeah. the signs are very drastically there. They're just ignoring them because yeah. it, it makes yeah. for good media. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if we know any, right, good media signs. Oh, yeah, if it right? bleeds, it like leads. In the UK, and, oh, yeah. you know, good old Rupert Murdoch, mm. right? And, you know, if you slap him on the front cover of the sun and in this country if we put him on the cover in the new york mm. post right yesterday i know he did that interview with alex mm. jones and uh and uh you know he had a mask on why well, he admires hitler about, and stuff know, like Nazis this yeah. And, yeah and hitler and um and and what sells right it's the newspaper sell and and yeah. all that stuff but he he's 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 right out there in our face saying like i am not okay yeah yeah exactly yeah that's that's yay, that's easy. We all we've all heard a lot about him, Eric. But where where can we hear and learn more about you? Where where can people find you? Where can people find your podcast? How can people hear more of 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 your wisdom? Sure, absolutely. So uh, the From Survivor to Thriver podcast, uh, we started that in January of 2021. Uh, with the overarching theme was I really wanted to help people. Uh, I felt it, we were. Right, we were right in the height of COVID, mm. and 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 I wasn't feeling okay. And I thought, if I'm not feeling okay, and I have the the resources, and and I have the tools, and I know what I need to be doing, I can only imagine what it's like for other mm. people. And so, so I really wanted to help people. And and what we then ended up doing is through the podcast and this and and what has become really a storytelling platform. It's all about shattering stigmas building community and empowering voices for those who have been affected with an A by mental illnesses and trauma. And, and I'm very um, 
deliberate when I use the word mental illness is because there in itself lies a stigma yeah, where people talk about mental health mm. under a larger umbrella. But the reality is, right, just like any physical illness, we can also have mental illnesses and we need to destigmatize that. So new episodes of our podcast from Survivor to Thriver come out uh, every Tuesday morning. Uh, you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. We have a Facebook page called From Survivor to Thriver, and it's a very interactive community page where not only are we sharing things from our own perspective and, and episodes of our show, but we also welcome our audience to interact with us and, uh, and, and message us and, and post with us. Uh, and then you can find me, uh, it's Eric, E-R-I-K, DeRosa, D-A-R-O-S-A. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I love to get uh, messages from people. Uh, you know, I, I I look at myself now as somebody who has uh, been through it, and uh, if I can lend an ear in in any mm. way, or uh, if somebody feels like there's there's nobody that they can turn to, uh, and they're going through a crisis, um, please feel free to reach out to me. I can I I can be there to listen, and and if need be, I can help. Uh, direct someone to uh, the resources that might be necessary great thank you very much thanks thank you thank you so much for that Eric so before we leave the last words of wisdom with Eric just some final housekeeping folks before we before we sign off and one of the things I want to do we didn't really get to touch upon it fully in the episode with Eric we got we got sidetracked we were talking about other little things we did touch on uh, two kinds of dissociation and one was the, the dissociative amnesia which Eric experienced where he had no recollection of, of that weekend. We also touched on the this also touched on the dissociation fugue state, which would have been the episode of Breaking Bad that was mentioned before. So two other little pieces of dissociation that didn't I didn't get a touch upon in the episode. And one is what's called a depersonalization disorder. So this is where char- characterized by feeling detached from your own life, thoughts and feelings. Um you can feel quite distant, uh, emotionally unconnected from yourself. Um, or just like it's like you're watching, it's like you're a movie. It's like your character in a movie. So that's another kind of um, uh, dissociation. And the other one is what used to be called multiple personality disorder, and that is dissociative identity disorder. So this is where uh, people can have these other identities that may have their own memories. They may talk in another voice. They can be regressive states. Uh, someone can dissociate back to a childhood state. Um, you know, this this is where you'll see. Um, what used to be called multiple personality disorder in all of the movies. So there are going to be different body language, uh, different tone of voice, different accents, maybe a different life, different memories. And when there's when there's going to be a, a stressful state, as Eric's was brought on for, you know, in terms of uh, stress within in your life, that's typically when people start to dissociate. So I just wanted to touch on those those last two. So they are. The four then, so there's dissociative amnesia, the dissociative fugue state, uh, the depersonalization disorder, and dissociative identity disorder. I just wanted to touch on those a little bit. And the symptoms of dissociation, I'll just read these off quickly for you, just because we didn't touch upon it in the episode. So feeling disconnected from yourself, problems with handling intense emotions, suddenly an unexpected shift to mood, for example, feeling very sad for no reason, depression or anxiety problems, or both, feeling as though the world is distorted or not real. 
Many problems, uh, memory problems that aren't linked to physical injury or medical conditions, other cognitive thought-related problems such as concentration, significant memory lapses such as forgetting important personal information, feeling compelled to behave in a certain way, and identity confusion, behaving in a way that the person would normally find offensive or abhorrent. So there's some of the symptoms to look out for. If any of this is um, resonating with yourself, please do seek medical advice. Don't self-diagnose in something around in something so serious as dissociation. Um, get exactly as Eric had touched upon. Uh, get a healing team around you. Uh, that's really going to help because very often people in a state of dissociation, whether it's regression, they're not in a position to look after themselves. So having good social support is is vital around that. So just want to clear up a couple of things there, folks, before we finished. So if you haven't already, if you want to get in contact, you know what to do, folks. Hit me up on any of the social media. And that is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And they are all at STMH Podcast. That's the username across all of our all of the social media and the handle on YouTube. If you haven't already, please do hit subscribe on the YouTube. That way you're going to you're going to see all of our all of our videos and hit the notification. So that way you'll be notified when when a new episode goes up. New episodes go up at midnight on a Tuesday, GMT. So wherever you are in the world, shift accordingly. But please do get in contact. If you want to check out the website, it is stmhpodcast.com and the email is hello at stmhpodcast.com. So hit me up with your feedback. Let me know if if you've experienced of dissociation, if you've uh, if your partner or a family member has gone through it, please let me uh, please let me know what that experience was like for you. I love to read out all of your feedback, and you know it's good to know for other people that are listening that they're not alone, perhaps in their experience of the world. So if you've experienced intrusive thoughts, like Eric has, if you've had uh, OCD in the past, if you've got anxiety, or if you've experienced a dissociation, please do let me know. Please get in contact on any social media or the email. I'd love to hear from you. The other thing you could do to help would be to drop a five-star review. So on Spotify or Apple iTunes, podcast, whatever it's called, you can also leave a comment. So with the review, you can leave five five stars. So if you've learned something from the episode or if you've been entertained in any sort of way in the episode, please consider leaving a five-star review. That's going to be, that's going to mean an awful lot. We're going to be back in two weeks' time, folks. We're going to have Rachel on. Rachel's going to be coming on and sharing her experience of dyslexia and the impact that that has had on her life. So you know what to do, folks. It's going to be same bad time, same bad channel in two weeks' time. But in the meantime, look after yourselves and look after each other. So, Eric, this has been an absolute joy. I've absolutely loved this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. But one last thing before you go. Every guest that comes on, we ask them to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings or some motto or creed to live by or something that that this life has has taught them along the way is there anything you'd like to you'd like to leave our listeners with before before we go absolutely so uh you know a couple of things first you know for for a very long time you know i thought i was different i thought i was broken and i thought i was the only one but i couldn't have been any further from the Mm. truth um and as i've gone along my own healing journey. I've, I've realized I wasn't alone and it didn't have to be that way for me. And it doesn't have to be that way for you and, and your audience and loved ones. Uh, and so just know you're not alone and there is help. There is hope and there is a way through. And if you're feeling like you're not okay, find someone who is a, is a trusted friend family member, loved one who you know will not pass judgment. Step into a therapist's office if you even feel Mm. comfortable doing that. Because the minute you start talking about it, 
It'll be as though a weight has been lifted from your shoulders. It's often the most difficult part of the healing journey, but in many ways, it's also the biggest step along that journey. And, and I promise you from that day on, it will get a little bit easier. Um, and having those conversations will become more the norm, right? Than, than not. Mental health.